What do you want to happen? Do you want to go on tour? Do you want to sell merchandise? Why do you want to release this song? And, you know, those reasons can, you, you know, some people love performing and they love connecting with the audience and, you know, sharing that experience. I think that can be a good example. Like, I want to be able to tour and play in front of people. Okay, that's a great goal. Now you have to sort of, you know, always have that goal as like a North Star and think about what social media content do you create that helps you have more people want to come see you in that live experience. You know, so often on this show, we talk about goal setting and KPIs and how we use social in service of the, those higher things. I don't think we've ever had a guest really talk about setting goals like getting a Grammy or winning a music industry award, being on the Billboard Top 100. Uh, those are pretty new goals for, for us to explore, at least on this podcast. And I, uh, But I, I, like the, I like the notion that social media and the things we do with social do need to be done in pursuit of that sort of higher purpose. And we're, you know, uh, Cassie on, on this show, she really goes into it and, and gives us a lot of insight sort of from, from the perspective of someone who, you know, herself has really spent a lot of time pursuing goal of working in the music business and building her business within it, uh, I think it's just such a, a good rapper. Yeah, it's we're going to hear so much from Cassie Petrie today, the CEO and co-founder of CrowdSurf, which is a social media marketing and music management firm uh, that really works with huge, huge, huge artists on their social media presences and campaigns. Um, and while that might not be like the typical conversations that we have on social prunes, at the end of the day, what Cassie really does talk about does ladder back to everything that we're doing at the core with social media, regardless of whether we're B2B, B2C, we're working with literally the top artists in the industry. Um, you know, and Danley, you even mentioned, you know, no, we don't specifically have people come on whose goal is to get a Grammy, but in essence, it's kind of lead generation, right? I mean, like at the end of the day, if you kind of like pull it all back, what, what Cassie talks about is really applicable to everybody. And I think also what dawned on, on me on this episode too, and everybody's going to hear the conversation too, is it was just another beautiful reminder of how the algorithms are so different for everybody on social and how perception is not reality. Speaking of awards, we've won a few of our own. Uh, well, one specifically. It wasn't a billboard or a Grammy, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, we were very excited about it. Uh, if you didn't, if you haven't already heard, during this year's Content Marketing Awards, the Social Pros podcast, this one right here, placed first in best podcast and audio series. And we uh, are super grateful to the whole community of listeners. Uh, we are here because we were able to win the award because of you and your support over the years. Uh, so we're very grateful for that. And before we get into the, today's show, we highly recommend you go check out our amazing show sponsor, ICUC. ICUC are experts in online and social media community management, and they're here to remind you, the world, and all of us, there are real humans behind brands. ICUC creates the space where tech meets human power by moderating, listening, and holding real conversations with real customers on behalf of enterprise brands at a global scale. ICUC provides strategic support and fills customer care gaps as an extension of your team 24-7, 365 days a year in any language and on every social channel. 
head to icuc.social, that's icuc.social, to schedule a consultation, talk strategy, and see how can they support you. And we know time is precious for all of you as social media professionals, especially when things are changing every day, and boy, are they ever changing every day. We know this uh, really well on our team, which is why uh, at Convince and Convert, we developed a free social media bundle to help you execute an A-class social audit. The bundle includes a whole bunch of things, a social media evaluation checklist, uh, nine social media metrics that matter, content calendar template, a social media policy template, uh, all very helpful and designed to get you on the road. You can download that free bundle at bit.ly uh, bit slash uh, social audit bundle. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash social audit bundle. And now let's get into this week's episode with Cassie Petrie, CEO of CrowdSurf. Social Pros listeners, our guest today has some truly insane and amazing credentials. First off, she is CEO and co-founder of CrowdSurf, a social media marketing and music management firm that connects artists, brands, and public figures with their audience. In fact, CrowdSurf is actually the company behind some iconic artist social media marketing efforts that you have definitely seen. Um, some artists include Pink, Ed Sheeran, Camila Cabello, um, just to name a few, plus some massive influencers like Lauren Gray. And also, not only that, on top of that all, she is also Forbes 30 Under 30 and Billboard 30 Under 30 recipient. And she's also been featured in Forbes, Nylon, Entrepreneur, Rolling Stone, and many, 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 many more publications that you know and read all the time. Cassie Petrie, welcome to the show. We are so excited to chat with you today. There are so many questions that we have, but first, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. That is such an incredible list of, of accomplishments already. Um, and you got your start very, very young. And you have worked so incredibly hard. Just to give everybody a preview, can you tell our Social Pros listeners sort of your path to where you are today? Because you got your start at 17 in the music industry. And now you are, of course, running CrowdServe, your own social media marketing and music management firm. How did you go from your start to where you are today? Well, I always think my start in digital marketing and social media was when I was about 11 or 12 and AOL sort of hit the scene and made the internet a broad, that broad spread thing in most people's homes. And the AOL kind of came into the world the same time I started liking the Backstreet Boys. So I used AOL to express my love for the Backstreet Boys. I had an online zine. I learned how to like code little like one page fan sites and made friends with people, um, other fans of the Backstreet Boys and that sort of thing. So that was sort of my, I always credit that as my start because I feel like that experience really is the foundation for even a lot of the stuff I do today and a lot of the you know, thoughts and ways I approach things and, and all that kind of stuff. So I, I started there. I sort of became a serial super fan from there. I started liking all different types of acts. I kind of went from like Backstreet Boys to Dave Matthews Band, totally random, but both have really cool fandoms and fun concerts and were two great acts to love and travel to go see in middle school and high school. So grateful for the experience. And I think at some point around the age of 15, I realized there were jobs in music that weren't on stage, like that weren't the artist. And I became sort of enthralled with the idea of working 
in the music business. I didn't know what I wanted to do at that point. I just knew that I, I needed to be a part of it. So I started doing everything I could to build my resume because the one thing I read over and over again from multiple sources was it's really hard to get a job in the music business. So I was kind of scared that I wasn't going to be able to fulfill my dream. So I think I almost overcompensated in a sense, but grateful for, you know, how it turned out, but it wasn't as hard as everyone made it sound. It's definitely challenging. You definitely have to work hard, but it's not this like, stroke of luck dream like you can make it happen for yourself if you if you really want it um and i always like to tell people that because i know people get really scared as they're looking for their first jobs trying to get internships that sort of thing um but i started building my resume and uh, i'm from louisville kentucky not exactly a music mecca so to speak but every town every city has local bands so that's where i i started i helped some local bands with um this was pre MySpace. I was actually helping them with pure volume, which is kind of like a predecessor to MySpace and social media in a sense and helped with some local managers, a local record label, and really got every kind of experience I could just by volunteering and basically being like, you could probably use help. I can help you. Here's how I can do it. So built my resume. And then I was able to land a job my first year in college as a, as a Warner music group college rep. And that job's usually you don't usually get it till you're junior or senior, but they're like, your resume is great. And it's clear that you're passionate about this and you have experience. So we're going to let you do this early. So I moved to Nashville, was a college rep, went to Middle Tennessee State University, studied music business. And this was another sort of timing situation for me that ended up being really great. My space came out the first year of when I was in college. And I went to my boss as a college rep and I said, well, I don't like big artists use MySpace. I just see my local bands using MySpace. And she's like, I don't really know what that means, but I'll let you pick an artist and you can run their MySpace page. So I did. And the Warner Music Nashville office, because I was I was kind of working on a national level in terms of sales for the whole company. Um, but the Warner Music Nashville office, who's like focused on, you know, comedy and a couple other genres, they heard about me and the head of new media was what it was called at the time was like, I want to meet her. So I came in and ended up working there for the next three years instead of doing the sales college rep program and I loved what I was doing and I got I learned so much it was so cool to be able to work at a record label while I was going to college at the same time and social media was still developing but it wasn't as important or viewed as as important as it is now and there weren't jobs in social media there weren't community managers there wasn't like head of like fan engagement like there weren't jobs to really like grow to at least not on like a high scale there wasn't a job for me to grow to at Warner they offered me other jobs there but I would have kind of had to make a move away from what I wanted to do so me my business partner was in a similar situation working in a different genre and we decided we like what we're doing but we want to have the opportunity for career growth so let's let's do our own thing instead um and that's was over 15 years ago and we've slowly grown over time. And that's, you know, how we've gotten to where we are today. We just kept, we just kept doing it. We just stuck it out really is what it comes down to. Well, and I love how you turned your love of like wanting to connect with bands that you loved and helping others connect with them too, and connecting with other fans of the band. And you turned that into 
a career path that that really it's it's really cool to see that like now you're helping other people connect with their favorite brands and and giving people the opportunity to connect in much different ways to their favorite artists. Like I love that that really is the the theme that since like you were 11 basically is what's been driving you. That's really really cool and just so it's like you were perfectly made for social media almost like in that way, you know, and like you're like, I want to engage and I want to connect. And it's like then the, you know, and I'm also getting flashbacks for my instant messenger days as well. So yes. thank you for that. Um, it's just really cool to see that like at the crux of it all, it really is about connection and engagement and just like, I don't know, people connecting with people. Yeah, it's so fun. And, um, you know, I think that there's, it's kind of almost become oversaturated in terms of connection at at, at this point. Um, you know, and I think there's some negative repercussions to that now. But when this started, I just always thought over and over again, how cool would it have been when I was 11, if I could communicate with the artists and bands that I liked this way, like I would have died for that to be able to have like, more content to be able to comment on stuff that they're posting, to be able to see what other people are saying. Like it just would have been such a cool experience. And I always think about that. Yeah, absolutely. I, and also to your point about like oversaturation, it's like you had this really amazing note that it's on your IG right now. It's, you had a beautiful IG post about how bands shouldn't be looking to TikTok as the benchmark for success anymore, like, or not anymore, but just in general, that it's, it seems like maybe now artists are now looking at like, because there is so much happening, there is so much connection. There is so much that music plays into on our, our social media feed that now it almost feels like that overconnection is is almost doing some damage. Um, I don't know if you could just go ahead and talk through. I just thought the way that you worded this post was so brilliant. And I think it just shows the evolution from having zero social media to now having social media be the benchmark of success. So if you could talk through your recent IG post, it was really, really brilliant. Oh, well, well, thank you. And, you know, that was inspired by all the artists I talk to all the time. They have so much anxiety about their music being successful based upon if it does well on TikTok or not. And I I feel for them because that can kind of take away from the creative process and the reasons why you do music. You, you know, if you're, you know, people do music, I think, and create music for like really pure reasons in terms of processing their emotions, wanting to share them with others, wanting other people to know that they're not alone in the same emotions or to, you know, create things that are just entertaining too, or make people dance or have a good time. Like I think music is really a gift that artists create and give to people and to sort of have this, these social media numbers kind of dictate if you can give your gift or not is, um, is really tough. And I, 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 I feel for them. And I just don't, at the end of the day, like TikTok numbers are great. Like that's, you know, a good secondary sort of benchmark to look at, but you really have to create because you want to. And if you have, if you're creating for the right reason, your product is going to be better. And if your product is better, it that's, what's going to make it be successful. Not because you did something smart on TikTok. It's going to be successful because it's a good 
song. TikTok can help with that. A TikTok, a good TikTok marketing strategy can help amplify that, but it's not going to be able to compensate for a product not being great. It um, also be just before uh, we started recording, you we, we were talking a bit, and you had shared. Uh, I just think a really great line that yeah, you're kind of talking about people analyzing numbers a little too much, crunching numbers a little too much, and and using that to guide uh, for artists the creative process, but you know even for a business to kind of guide what they're what they're doing. And you you had this phrase that you know you need to really focus on goals that would exist even if social media didn't exist. Yes. Uh, and I thought that was a really good way of saying that. And I kind of wanted to to learn more a bit about what are some of those goals that you coach artists to think about? Yeah, I like to go back to, you know, let's say we're in the 1970s, 1980s. You're still making music. These platforms don't exist for distributing it. Like, what is your reason for making music? Why, you know, what do you want to happen? Do you want to go on tour? Do you want to sell merchandise? Why do you want to release this song? And, you know, and those reasons can, you, you know, some people love performing and they love connecting with the audience and, you know, sharing that experience. I think that can be a good example. Of like I want to be able to tour and play in front of people. Okay. That's a great goal. Now you have to sort of, you know, always have that goal as like a North star and think about what social media content do you create that helps you have more people want to come see you in that live experience, like making a viral TikTok dance that has nothing to do with your music is probably not going to lend itself to the goal of people wanting to come see you play guitar and sing live. You might get a lot of views on the other one, but that's not going to create the desire and action in people to come to a concert. So, so a piece of content that maybe gets one tenth of the views of the more like memeable piece of content could actually be more impactful for your goal, even though it has less views and less, uh, you know, comments, but those people are more interested in helping you achieve your goal, if that makes sense. So that's where I, th I think people, you know, obviously it'd be great if the same amount of people liked the, the content that lends itself to that goal, but that doesn't always happen. So, you know, you have to, again, it's about, you have to chase your goals versus chasing likes and comments and, and shares. I heard a thing once that, um, what, what often happens when we cre we're creating content is we, we get lost in the creating of the content and the, the, the thing it, it's going to go do. But I heard someone say, I think it was a guest actually on the podcast and I, probably should go back and and make sure i cite this person correctly but um my goal i need to think about my goal's goal so if my goal is for this thing to go viral on tiktok does that goal actually have a goal is that in service of something or am i just mm -hmm. doing it because i know that this is going to go viral i know this dance video is going to go viral on tiktok or that this thing is going to go viral on tiktok i, I think it, it kind of brings the, the notion of curiosity about experimentation on social what you're doing there uh to the surface yeah, absolutely. I, I, I totally agree. Another thing that's kind of tough with social media is that if something is successful, you're almost guaranteed backlash at some point. It is hard to avoid it because it's so there probably always was backlash, but people didn't have a way to like show it as much and amplify it as much. Like, because I think about, you know, when I was younger and loved the Backstreet Boys, half of my school hated them. 
You know, half of my middle school hated them. I was ridiculed for being a big fan. But they probably didn't, like, see as much of that. And there wasn't, like, media to back that sentiment up as much as there would be now. Like, think about how many, like, people would have had, like, anti-Backstreet Boys content in 1999. Like, everything they would have done would have had a pendulum that swings the other way that every time, you know, I want it that way is a huge success. But then there's going to be content sort of contradicting that but we just didn't have a platform to sort of share that content on a wide scale like we do now so i feel like almost sometimes backlash can almost be sometimes as an indicator of success um it's interesting to sort of think about what would have existed in different time frames and if that would have affected the perception of like the artists that are you know legends today if you didn't create some kind of controversy you probably did something wrong yeah, I agree. You're being too safe. Um, speaking of controversy, um, so as of the time of this recording, uh, Twitter, <laughs> there's been uh, some bumps in the road there with Elon Musk taking over. Uh, this week, there has been legislation introduced to potentially have an all-out ban on TikTok, which, of course, this is not new news. This has been a conversation that's been happening since 2020, um, very politically charged in many different ways. So because the social media landscape is literally changing by the second these days and you have so many artists who rely on it to connect with people and so many people who genuinely make a living off of it and even have teams of people um, working with them on these platforms, how are you coaching them on this day to day? And are, do you have people just freaking out being like, what is happening? Because I feel like every time I turn around, um, there's something new that I'm getting whiplash for. And so... I can't imagine even your artists and your clients um, who literally use this to connect um, with their fan base and, and, and make a living. Um, how are you coaching them through all this right now? And what's some of the advice that you're giving them? So when all the stuff that's been happening with Twitter, a lot of people messaged, you know, different team members on our side and were asking, do I need to get off Twitter? Is it like, negatively perceived to still be on there is that kind of giving it in and making more room for negative voices I think is sort of the moral dilemma a lot of people are in I always tell people to kind of not make a decision when they're in the emotional height of why they want to make that decision I think a little bit of time can put some more logic on if you make a big decision like that on to leave you know Twitter um, I think one really interesting example was I remember when musically switched over to TikTok, a lot of people closed their accounts. And I remember one of the biggest accounts on there was Lisa and Lana. They're the big German, um, you know, twin sister TikTok duo. They closed their account. And I feel like they probably wish they didn't at this point. Um, they did it because they felt like, you know, I don't like a lot of the stuff TikTok is doing. I, I'm not sure of all the reasons, but, you know, something kind of in that lane is why they they did that. And they did eventually rejoin. Um, but a lot of people closed down their TikTok accounts. And these were, you know, accounts that they'd had on Musical.ly that had millions and millions of followers. And a lot of people pulled their accounts in that time frame because the, it, they weren't sure if they wanted to be involved with, you know, what this new company was doing and the merge and that sort of thing. But I think if they would have just taken a beat and sort of wrote it out, I think they probably would have saw where it was going and they wouldn't have lost that super valuable asset. Um, so I think always 
like, you know, you don't, you can think about deleting something, but you don't have to do it today. And you, you, I think it's important to spend time analyzing that, that decision. And, you know, and, you know, if you decide to do it, like it, you know, could, could make sense, but um, you never know. It changes so fast that you don't know if like the musically or TikTok is going to come back and be better than ever. Like it ended up being in this situation. Um, So I've, I've actually told that story to some people while they were thinking about delete, deleting their Twitter account during this sort of turmoil, you know, right now. Um, and then there, there is the fear that they don't have a choice and the accounts could just get deleted. You know, the platform could just get deleted or you're going to have to use a VPN to get into it because it's not allowed to be, you know, updated and sold in the United States anymore. And I, I always just say there's no point of having anxiety about things that haven't happened yet. And, you know, communication and fans wanting to connect with artists is not going to go anywhere. It may just have the, the means and the logistics of that happening might just change with these sort of things, but everyone's dealing with the same thing and it's not something that's completely unmanageable, but in general, I think it's always important to not put all your eggs in one social media basket because you don't, you don't ever know what's going to happen. You don't know who's going to own something. You don't know if something's going to get banned. You don't know if, something is is you know somebody's just gonna be like i don't want to run the site anymore you just never know what's gonna happen so i think having multiple thriving accounts is always a good safe strategy yeah i mean I, fans go on like they will go on to find you somewhere else if, if you leave that place and you know unless you have become a tiktok star because of tiktok and that's really all the only place where you are uh, fans will find you uh, I, I saw elton john recently sort of soft deleted or soft canceled his Twitter account. Uh, he said he was giving up on Twitter, but his account is still there, it's, which is kind of interesting. So it's like, yeah, I'm not going to use it anymore, but my account is still here. So perhaps that there is that, 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 that quiet pause, uh, just like, hmm, not yet ready to yet delete, but I'm going to make a statement about it. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I kind of applaud the strategy of not fully deleting the account because you just don't know where this is going to go. I, I do think that in general, change on Twitter is good. I do think that the, I I do think that there was a lot of controversy around the verification badges, and I do think that changing up the verification badge is needed. It's dated. It's it was a weird process on how people got verified in the beginning of the platform. Like I, I I don't necessarily agree with the new things that are being suggested, but I do think that addressing change in that process is makes sense and could be a good thing. Um, there's a lot of things that I actually think are that are happening on Twitter that I think could be good things. The things that I struggle with or don't agree with are doing things that feel like marketing moves to drive traffic that may not be completely ethical. You can't pick impressions and traffic over ethics. That's where I start having a problem. Yeah, your traffic might be higher than ever, but is that because you did something good or because you kind of created controversy around something evil? It's, you know, you can't always, numbers can't always win over um, intention. (laughs) That's, That's a scary place to be in. Yeah, for sure. I completely agree, especially with sort of the recent announcement of them mulling over, specifically for iPhone users, forcing people to pay to keep their data and privacy protected. 
Otherwise, you have to opt into having your information sold to advertisers, which is totally different and and so new just because they don't like Apple's privacy policy. So, um, yeah, agreed. I, I don't love some of those like marketing, pure marketing profit driven things that are so not even thinly veiled as marketing and profit-driven things anymore. Um, but totally agree on the ethical side of things. Yeah, I, I think I do think the social media channels do need to shake up, to your point. Um, I think things have been so stagnant for so long. And obviously, TikTok came in and really shook everything up, especially for the music industry and how people use music as a daily part of their lives. Um, but of course, that also with the shakeup opens up some other channels that have really been kind of underutilized, such as YouTube shorts. Um, I mean, I think even um, just even the way that we've seen people use reels differently um, with the introduction of TikToks, so I'm curious about your perspective on with all of this shakeup, with all these major platforms changing and shifting, what are some other opportunities out there for people to start dipping their toes into, um, you know, maybe dipping back into Snapchat or using and looking at um, IG reels and um, YouTube shorts differently? Yeah, so I, I'm glad you brought up Snapchat. I always think that this is an underutilized platform, especially in the music space. For some of my artists that use Snapchat, they'll post the same like story on Snapchat that they do on Instagram, and they'll actually sometimes get more views on the Snapchat story and, and more clicks on the Snapchat story. So I think it's being underutilized. And Snapchat's interesting because I feel like it's kind of operates in pockets. Like my family in Kentucky, both older and younger than me, they love Snapchat. They use it all the time. But like my group of friends didn't use that. So I don't use it as much like as a organic user. But I also see it in other countries and other pockets of the United States. Like I think it's sort of where it's big, it's really big. And then there's some places where maybe it's not used as much. I would be interested to kind of see like if there's actual like data to sort of you know, back that up. But that's how I've, I've kind of just witnessed it in terms of, you know, viewing groups of people and how they communicate. But there's a there's a, a real audience there. And there's a lot of opportunity. So I, I think always lean into Snapchat. Um, they, I've actually had a lot of success with their, um, the spotlight program. So kind of like their version of reels and TikToks, uploading vertical content there, there's been some pieces of content where I've uploaded it to TikTok, Instagram, and Snapchat spotlight. And it got the most views on Snapchat Spotlight. So there is real opportunity for impressions, views, and connecting with people on Snapchat. And, you know, to, to YouTube Shorts as well, especially um, we work with some comedians. And comedy in particular, that it, on fire. Like seeing people I, get over like 30 million views on a short. It's, it's really interesting. Um, and I've seen people grow like hundreds of thousands of subscribers from using shorts. So it's definitely at minimum worth, I call it syndicating content you create on other platforms to YouTube shorts. Cause I don't, I think that YouTube's going to continue evolving their tool to include shorts in it more and more and more. And they're investing money in creators, creating shorts. There's that, that's not going anywhere. Um, Meta um, is putting a lot, be, you know, obviously they have a lot in the Instagram reels, but they're really pushing Facebook reels right now too. So I think at minimum, you can set up cross-posting if you're doing reels on Instagram, set it up to Facebook. But I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of, um, a lot of initiatives by them to really advocate for that tool as well. Um, 
so I think those are some places that I don't see people organically think about as much, but you can actually really do well. And there's, there's an audience already there. So those are, those are pretty cool. And I like kind of sharing little success stories with clients on those platforms that they never would have thought of otherwise. I think it's so funny you mentioned YouTube shorts and comedians because uh, I, I follow a lot of comedians, but not like a crazy amount. I, I only see like comedians on my YouTube shorts and fitness thirst traps, which is so not me. Uh, I don't <laughs> think I fit that demographic, but somehow the, the algorithm has figured out that I do like the comedians. I don't know where the other, the other content's coming from, but maybe they know something. I don't know about my, my 2023, uh, you know, <laughs> annual goal. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. And I, and I think the thing that's kind of, which could, if you think about this, could actually be an advantage to brands and talent. When a tool is younger, the algorithm isn't as good yet. So that can sometimes be an advantage because like those fitness people who you may not have ever gotten in a more sophisticated algorithm, they're getting views that they probably wouldn't normally get otherwise. So sometimes, you know, it can be a little wonky in terms of, algorithm and your content not being fed to the right people but sometimes there can be an upside to that in terms of you getting your content served to people that may have never saw you otherwise so that's one thing that i think can be kind of fun about using a a platform or a tool that's a little bit younger is it's not it's not as refined yet and sometimes something not being as refined can create little fun opportunities that you wouldn't get otherwise yeah yeah for sure for sure what are some of the others so i i've uh, been reading a bit about like some of the so-called new social networks that are uh, popping up fizz and gas i don't know if you've heard about either of those uh um and geneva anything from your your point of view like things that are emerging that are exciting for you on the artist side yeah so one tool that already exists but i'm excited about it is um whatsapps like you can subscribe to a community and have you know, sort of a text thread with people, but it's, I guess it's kind of one way, but I was excited about that. Um, I'm, I'm pitching that to a lot of my artists right now being like, let me do this. Nobody's doing it yet. It'll be cool. And it'll be great for international fans who can't subscribe to these like community or lay low numbers, you know, that you can text. I've always struggled with that on artists that have international fan base because the international fans feel left out. So I think this WhatsApp tool could be a good solve to that, but there's already so many people on WhatsApp that I think that's always exciting when there's a place with a lot of people and there hasn't been like a tool for a celebrity or a brand to be able to communicate with them well. And then all of a sudden that tool exists where millions and billions of people already are. That's always really exciting to me, but I've definitely been keeping an eye on some of these other apps. Um, Gas kind of reminds me of when Facebook was college only because gas right now is high school students only. So I can't like fully experience it, which kind of drives me a little crazy because I really want to be able to like download it and be immersed in it. But I I love the, you know, and I'm sure that there's some downsides to this, but I love the general like premise of positivity and like it lifting people up. I think we're going to see more platforms emerge with that kind of agenda in terms of sort of counterweighting a lot of the bullying and negativity and other platforms. I think things being created to specifically be positive is really exciting. So I'm excited to see where these things go, but I'm always checking the charts to see like, what are people actually downloading? Um, because that's, it's strange. I feel like I find stuff out faster that way than by following general news outlets, just watching charts. 
yeah, just check check in the app store and see what's hot. Yep. Um, it's yeah, it's such Fizz, a good indicator. Fizz, Fizz is quite funny because it's it's a also a school only, a college only. Uh, it's at Stanford only right now. It's like, hmm, that sounds familiar. We've, yep. We've had that, we've had this story play out before, but maybe that's I I appreciate that they are uh, community moderated by their own community. I feel like there is there is something kind of nice about that that aspect of it. This has been an amazing conversation, uh, Cassie. We could talk about all of this for much much longer, but I want to make sure we give you a chance to talk about uh, kind of CrowdSurf. Where can people find you and uh, connect with you and and the company? Yeah, so I'm on social platforms, just my name, Cassie Petrie, C-A-S-S-I-E-P-E-T-R-E-Y. Um, CrowdSurf has socials as well. It's just the name CrowdSurf. And, um, but our platform, I think we kind of use our social media a little differently. It's more targeted towards our employees than outwardly um, trying to get clients, if that makes sense. But you're welcome to check it out. We have some really cool people that work mm-hmm. for us and you can see all their birthdays and anniversaries. <laughs> um, but that's, you know, those are kind of the two places <laughs> um, that I, I hang out at. And um, if you ever want to contact me, I, I love like having conversations with people and like LinkedIn messages or Instagram DMs. So feel free to message me if you have a topic you want to dig into. I think it's always fun. That's awesome. Well, before we let you go, we've got to do what we do with all guests, all 550 plus now that we've had on the show. We've got a couple questions for you. Are you ready for them? I'm ready. All right. I'll kick it off with the first one. If you could give a piece of advice to anyone who wants to become a social pro, what would it be? To make sure that the job is right for you. I think if it's right for you, anybody can be a social pro, but you have to be you have to be excited about learning all the time. And if you don't love change and you don't love constantly being educated and a lot of people don't, and that's totally fine. But if you don't love that, I don't think this is the right job for you because it literally changes by the week at this point. Yeah, absolutely. It is as we hear from so many different social pros and so many different industries in, and we know firsthand it's a tough role. Like you have to really love it and uh, be okay with change. Um, And Cassie, it absolutely sounds like you are, obviously. From the time you were 11, you were looking out at like what's new and different. Um, So, which is awesome. I think it just has to be something that is built within you. Um, I am also curious for your answer to question number two, because you do work with so many high-profile people. If you could have a video call with any living person, who would it be? I would go with uh, Richard Branson because I love how he started and was really interested in music at first and then branched out into all these other really kind of seemingly not related companies, but I can kind of see how they are related to in a sense. But I've, I've always admired his ability, one marketing ability, but two, just he's always positive he doesn't lead by like being macho or rude or i'm bigger and smarter than you he's so like gentle and peaceful and i i think that that's i'm impressed that he's maintained that throughout the entirety of his career but i think it would be really cool to learn from somebody like that yeah absolutely um he i still remember i don't know if they even exist anymore at least not where i am but like 
the Virgin Records Megastore was like massive. Like I remember they had one at the mall here in Phoenix and like it was huge. Like you could spend a whole day in there. Um, so yeah, love his his origins and music. And um, yeah, it's like massive, massive, massive just massively expanded his whole portfolio into like like you said seemingly random things but all very successful so would definitely be a very interesting conversation i agree um cassie petrie thank you so much again for being on the show today this was so much fun um so fascinating such a different conversation than we usually get to have on social pros so thank you so much for being here and giving us all of your insights and advice um and so excited just to see what you do next Well, thank you so much for having me. I I appreciate it. Awesome. Everybody, go follow Cassie. Go follow Proudster. um, Get up to date on all the latest on what they're doing. um, See all their cool, cool employees and staff and team members. And in the meantime, thank you, everybody, for being with us here every single week on what we hope is your favorite podcast of all time, Social Pros.